speaking this morning. There we go. Give him a big round of applause. There we go. You're getting better. Yeah. And we're going to carry, as we've been doing, we've been carrying on through our series in Philippians. Did you want a stool or are you going to stand? Not great. All right, cool. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you for Craig. I thank you for um, just the life that that he um, lives. God, I thank you for the hopes that are within him. I thank you for for just really the the time and the energy and the passion that he's put into this morning, God, in the midst of three three busy kids and and a busy wife, <laughs> um, and and just and work and everything as well. God, we just pray, or I want to pray, Father, would you bless him um, for all that he's given and all that he's about to give to us? God, would he know your provision? Would you grant him the desires of his heart? Would you make a way for him that he could never make on his own? God, and we just thank you so much for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lyndon. <clears throat> so yeah, it's so good to be together this morning, and it's, it's so good to be able to go through a book of a Bible together as a church and really just spend time digging out all of the gold nuggets that God's got for us there in His Word. And, um, you know, it's been a bit interrupted with COVID, and it's been a bit of a whirlwind as we've made our way through Philippians, but I think that just mirrors kind of Paul's journey through writing to the church of um, Philippi and the way that he kind of got through that. In my own personal time with the Lord lately, I've been reading the book of Joshua, and it's just reminded me again how harsh Scripture can be sometimes. People coming into camp, mass killings, moving people out, taking over their land. It just gets messy sometimes. <laughs> and it reminds me that, you know, even Jesus, sometimes when he had some of his harshest words to say to people. The harshest words that he would say to people, or the people that he would speak these harsh words to, were the false religious teachers of the day. And that's kind of where we pick up this morning uh, with Paul. He's writing to the false teachers, or he's writing to the church of um, Philippi, or the Philippians, but it's about these false teachers who are teaching false things. So that's what we're going to pick up as we jump into the scripture. It will be up on the slide behind me. Sorry, I'm a school teacher. I can't get away from a good old presentation. Keeps me on track. Um, but yeah, if you've got your Bible or your device, you can follow there and kind of underline as you go anything that jumps out. So it says, finally, my brothers... Catch there, we're only in chapter 3, but he's saying, finally, my brothers, we've still got a whole other chapter to go. He says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, blameless. And he says, but whatever I gain, I count it as a loss. For the sake of Christ, indeed I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, one that comes from the law, but one which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So firstly, just to give some context to who these evildoers are or who Paul is warning the Philippians about, it's a group of people called the Judaizers. And basically what they advocated or what they would say is that you needed Jesus plus something in order to gain salvation. And that plus something that the Judaizers were talking of or trying to convince the church of Philippi of was this thing of circumcision. You, needed, you could have Jesus, but you also needed to be circumcised in order to attain the salvation. That's what the Mosaic Law stated, that you can't do away with circumcision. Okay, it was an element that you needed to be saved. See, Paul is now writing to these Philippians to say, that's not the case. It's actually Jesus plus nothing. So, Paul goes a bit hard at them. He's got some beef to pick with his Judaizers, and he calls them out for what he sees them as. He calls them evildoers. He calls them dogs and mutilators of the flesh. Now, I know we might be tempted in a New Zealand context to think, I wouldn't mind being called a dog. Nice jumper, sleep in the bed, roast chicken for dinner. Unfortunately, this is not the dog that Paul talks of. He's talking of a dog that is a scavenger, doesn't have a home, lives off the scraps, raiding through rubbish to survive. So yeah, don't be tempted to think that he's being soft and cuddly with them. He's going hard. What Paul is trying to say to the church of Philippi is that they need a circumcision of the heart. Not a physical circumcision, but one of the heart. You see, as you give your life to God, as you become a Christian or believe in Him, you begin to lay your heart bare before Him as you invite Him into your life. You acknowledge your pure dependence on Him, and then you begin to place all of your energy or place all of your eggs into one basket. And that is on Jesus and what He did for us. So Paul says to these mutilators of flesh, dogs, you want to play that game? I can play that game. If you want to look at achievements, if you want to look at my CV versus your CV, I think I've got something to stand on. I think if you worked in the HR department and Paul's CV had to come across your desk, you'd probably be tempted to hire him before even inviting him in for an interview. This guy was legit. He ticked all of the boxes. Um, if you just go across to the next slide, I just want to pull out some of the... Oh, sorry, one more... Um, pull out some of Paul's CV, some of the things that he says. I think it's just one more across, sorry. So some of Paul's achievements according to the text, I'm not going to go into each of these in great detail, but just know that he's ticking all of the boxes as a religious elite. He was born into the right family line. Um, as you can see there, he was circumcised on the eighth day. You do not get holier than being circumcised on the eighth day. He was the people of Israel, God's people, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and that's a title, if there ever was one, 
as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, you want to play this game? You want to say that you have to be holy on your own righteousness and your own doings? We can play that game. But what happened with Paul? Paul used to be one of these guys that said it was Jesus plus something. And he would go and kill people that thought differently. Paul was persecuting people that said it was Jesus plus nothing. But in a day, in a moment, Paul's whole worldview has changed. Can you picture it? Paul was probably on his way, well, Saul as he was then, was probably on his way to go and persecute a church. Walking along the road of Damascus, smashed down to the ground, blinded. And next thing he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Can you imagine? Probably with a bit of tremble. Oh, please don't be Jesus. Please don't be Jesus. Yep, it was Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, within that encounter with Jesus, Paul's whole worldview is absolutely flipped on its head. He does a 180-degree turn and walks away from all of these titles. You know, he would have come from this amazing religious background. People would have looked up to him. He would have had a community of people around him that saw him living out this life. And then he walks away from it. He walks away from the people. He walks away from the way that he does life because of this encounter with Jesus. You know, I can picture it. I just have to tell this story because it's my public um, opportunity for repentance. But during the second lockdown, my wife got sucked into the bachelor or bachelorette. And through osmosis, or I don't know what it is, I myself got sucked into the bachelorette. And uh, if you don't know the bachelorette, you've got, well, in this case, this female trying to gain the attention of all these guys living in a house together. And, um, you know, in a weird way, these guys really become close friends with each other, although they're trying to gain the attention of this, you know, young lady. And in that process, sometimes what the show does to spice things up is they bring someone else into the house, another guy, and they normally call him the mole, you know, kind of coming in from the underground. So this guy comes into the house, and these guys are like, oh, this guy's dodgy, no, no, no. Don't say too much around him, because he's going to take this information back to the bachelorette, and it's scary how much I know about the show, I know, but... <laughs> Anyway, um, can you imagine, like Paul walking into your church the day after he's been persecuting Christians, talks to you in the welcome area, like, hey, I want to join your connect group, quickly get onto your group, your messenger group or WhatsApp group, um, this guy wants to join our life group, oh no, sorry, I can't make it that week, no, he's coming in, he wants to get information and then he's going to persecute us. But it wasn't the case, Paul's life had been absolutely smashed, or like his worldview had been smashed on its head. He had met the risen Lord. And on the back of Easter, like the resurrection of Jesus, that's who Paul met, and that's the effect that it had on his life. So, with a long introduction, I've only got two points to make this morning. Paul shows us that we've got two ways to live. That first way that we can live is righteousness apart from Jesus. So what characterizes this righteousness apart from Jesus? Self-effort, working on your own righteousness apart from Jesus, 
It's effort, self-righteousness, and effort, or your outward effort. You see, what we can do sometimes is we can create this moral benchmark in our minds, and we probably don't care to admit it, but I know that I often catch myself doing this. Oh, I'm not as bad as that person. Like they, you know, some of the stuff that they do or some of the things that they get into. I'm not as bad as them. I'm not quite as good as you know, so and so. But I'm kind of in the middle, leaning more towards that 75th percentile. So, you know, I'm sure I'll be okay come that day. You know, God must look with me, look down on me with a little bit extra favor than this person. And Paul wants to smash that ideology on its head. Um, Craig Rochelle writes of comparison. He says, Comparison will make you feel either superior or inferior, but neither honors God. You see, we can get caught up in this way of thinking that we're just trying to compare ourselves to others um, for our salvation and the things that we do or the way that we try and attain God. But that's not the case. What does Paul say about your own self-righteousness apart from Jesus? Well, he says it's utterly worthless, and he calls it rubbish. A better translation for that word rubbish is dung or poo. Now, we've got three kids under the age of five, so we are in a poo season in our household. We change more nappies and wipe more bums in a day than what we could ever care to want to do. Maybe you can't contextualize with that because you're well past that. Maybe you've had this conversation in your house. Mom, Dad, please can we get a dog? Please. We'll look after it. We will feed it. We will wash it. We'll pick up the mess, the dog poo, which normally lasts a whole three days and comes with this really selective eyesight of missing a lot of things that happen in the garden. You see, in our house, and I'm sure in your house, the nappy or the dog poo lives in a place very far away from the rest of the house. You don't want to smell it, you don't want to see it. It's placed far, far away. And what Paul is saying is that that poo or that offering is like taking that to a gift, like taking that as a gift to God. Can you imagine one of your kids coming with a packet of poo or a nappy and being like, hey, look what I got you. <laughs> I don't know what I would do. I'm like devastated that that's what I'm raising. But I think Paul uses this imagery because that's what the scripture says. It said it's like taking a bag of poo of rubbish to God and saying, hey, look what I got you. Isaiah 64 writes of a similar thing. Um, 64 verse 6 says, We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. You see, the translation here for a polluted garment is a menstrual cloth. And I know this is heavy going for a Sunday morning. You're like, oh... London, why do you let this guy preach? He's talking about poo, menstrual cloths, like, get him off the stage. But again, I just love the you know, visual imagery that came from the front this morning, childbirth 
And some of these pictures that we get, or some of these pictures that Paul and the scriptures use, it's vivid, and it's there for a reason. You know, Paul is using some strong language here to get us to understand that we can't rely on our own works for salvation. See, God is not neutral on this. He's not like, oh, these guys are trying to gain salvation through their good works, and it's not ideal, it's not the best thing, but I'll take it. No, he's not, he's not neutral. He's repulsed by it, and he's offended by it. If you wouldn't call yourself a believer here this morning, what basket are you putting your eggs into? Are you hoping your righteousness and your good works will get you, you know, over the line on that day? If you are a believer here this morning and you've been in church for many years, you might be tempted to start drifting away now, thinking about your Sunday lunch or the week ahead, saying, oh, I know this, I'm saved, I'm over the line. But I just want to invite you to lean in this morning. I think we all add something or all try to add something to our salvation through our works or through areas of our lives. We try to add to salvation and give ourselves personal credibility. I'm going to go through a few areas where you might find yourself adding to your salvation. Um, there are more, but what I'd encourage you to do is just ask the Holy Spirit to come now and maybe gently nudge you and start preparing you for where it is you think you might be adding salvation or adding to your salvation. Do you have job righteousness? The title that you hold or the hours that you work make you a little bit more superior than some of those around you that you think, oh, because I hold this position, or because this is where I find myself, God must see that with favor. He must be like, oh, this guy, he's good. Do you have family righteousness? You just a more godly parent than those parents who can't control their kids in the warehouse. <laughs> you see, this one got us good. We had a trick baby. <laughs> Daniel came along and he was just, oh, what a child. You couldn't ask. Better sleeping through the night would eat. We had friends around us having young kids and we're, they were struggling. And we're like, come on, guys, it can't be that difficult. <laughs> like, you know, play the long game. Just put them in their cots and let them cry. They'll sleep eventually. <laughs> Cue Jamie into our family and... <laughs> Man, were we humbled. This morning it took us 45 minutes to convince her to wear a long sleeve shirt with tears and fighting. From you or her? <laughs> the tears were from us, like 100%. Seeking counseling after this. But do you have that family righteousness? We judge people or look down on them because they're not as good. Do you have theological righteousness? You know, your theology is better than someone else's. You know, you spend more time in the Word than so-and-so, or you pray more, you listen to more sermons or podcasts in a week than someone else. Do you have schedule righteousness? Look, I don't think we suffer with this here at Maharangi Vineyard, so you can probably enjoy that one, because church is normally empty at 10 o'clock still. Some people love always being on time, always on schedule, always ahead of the plan, always got a tick box making their way through their scheduled events, and they look down on those that can't do it. Luckily, I married someone 
that has schedule righteousness because I do not have schedule righteousness. And you can imagine some of the dramas that unfold in our house. I'm more flexibility righteousness. I'm just so adaptable, you know. I can make time for everyone. As you cues would say, just super cruisy, can make my way through life. You know, I'm just so flexible and adaptable. But do you look down on those who can't be more flexible? Do you have legal righteousness? I know some of you suffer with this one, me included. Or I don't drink as much as that person, you know. They, they drink. Or I don't smoke. I, uh, you know, don't speed. Do you look at people that don't keep up and try to compare yourself? You know, I'm not as bad as them, you know. I don't gamble or... Do you find yourself with legal righteousness? Do you have financial righteousness? Oh man, those people just can't manage their money. Did you see what they bought at the warehouse? Nah. They can't stay out of debt. Look, God wrestled my heart this week going through that list because there were more that jumped out of me than I would have liked to admit. And you know, please, in context, hear what I'm saying is that those things are good things, some of those things. And God honors some of that. But it's the heart that we do it out of. You know, it's what is our intentions behind it? Because even good actions can come with wicked intentions. And God can see our hearts and he knows what it is that we're thinking. So if that's, you know, righteousness apart from Jesus, what is the other thing? that Paul invites us to, as he was inviting the Philippians. Is it, or it is, not is it, it is Jesus' only righteousness. You see, Paul says this comes from God, and it's through faith. It comes from God. He orchestrated the whole thing. We've just celebrated Easter, culminating in Jesus' life, to him dying on the cross on Good Friday and resurrecting on Sunday. The plan was Jesus all along. He lived, came to live this perfect life. Can you just fathom that for a second? I cannot go more than a few seconds living a perfect life. Jesus went 33 years in perfect obedience to the Father. You see, sometimes we can even make it look like we've got it all together. Externally, we look good. People look into our lives and it might seem like we've got it all together. But we know some of our thoughts. We know some of the things that no one else knows about us. You know, we know how broken we are. But this perfect gift in Jesus came and lived this life that we just couldn't live. You see, he had a perfect plan and he lived in full obedience to the Father. So Paul tells us that it comes from God, and he tells us it's through faith. The amazing thing about this faith that he says it comes through, that it's not the amount of faith that you've got, but it's what you place your faith in. You see, if you were falling down a cliff, and you said, I'm going to place all of my faith in that branch to catch me, it doesn't matter how much faith you place in it, But if that branch isn't going to hold your body weight, you could have placed all of your faith in it, but it was the wrong branch. You know, contrary to that, you might 
not place a whole lot of faith in the branch, but it's, you know, you're starting to run out of options as you slide down the hill. So you only have a little bit of faith. But if that branch can hold you, it'll save you. So it's not the amount of faith that Jesus is asking of us, but he's saying it's what you're placing your faith in this morning. You see, Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. I want to be like him in his death so that I can get his resurrection. So as we land this plane this morning, I want to just draw our attention back to verse 8. And again, let the scriptures say it best. Paul says, I count it all as loss. My religious titles, the people that I grew up with, my family heritage that I grew up in, this perfect track record that made me look so good to so many people, I count it all as loss. I count it as rubbish. See what he says here. Because of the surpassing worth knowing Christ Jesus. He counts that rubbish in exchange for knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know that in the New Testament, Paul says 53 times, our Lord. There's only one time that he says, my Lord, and this is it. Yes, God is a communal God. He loves community and people doing life together, but he's also an individual God. Every word in Scripture is so important. He says, my Lord, not our Lord, not the Lord, but my Lord. Can you say that this morning? Can you say, Jesus Christ, my Lord? He is your Lord, your Savior, your means of righteousness, and counting everything else as rubbish. You see, you've got two options. It's Jesus' only righteousness or righteousness apart from Jesus. You cannot have both. There will be a conflict you need to choose. And that's where the active part comes in for us, active participation in the fact that we need to turn away from some of those things, some of those areas that we try and add righteousness to our salvation. So I'm going to call the band up as they're going to kind of start making their way up. And we're going to go into one last song um, of worship. And what I want you to do as we sing this song and as we go through um, this last song is I want you to invite the Holy Spirit in. I want you to just say to him, Lord, show me where I might be falling short in some of these areas, where I'm relying on my own good deeds and some of my own you know, worthiness, but stepping away from you. You know, the irony of the prodigal son is that the son who went and lived it up, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, realized that he can't do it on his own. And he came back to the father, and the father went running to him. But the irony is, the one that was good, the one that stayed by his dad's side, the one who helped around the house and ticked all of the boxes, he spent the feast outside. He didn't make it over the line. And what were his words? But I've been good. I've been good. I've done all of the things that you wanted me to do. Don't miss that this morning. It's hard to point some of these things out in our own lives, I know. God did this process of my heart this week. But ask God to come and reveal himself to you. Ask him to show where you might be adding on to your salvation. If you don't know the Lord yet this morning or you've walked away from him, it's not how much faith you have, it's who you place your faith in. Go back to him. 
or go to him for the first time. He wants a relationship with you regardless of what you've done or who you are. You see, this is excellent news for exhausted religious souls who seek to save themselves. You see, many of us are here back in church today because we're just trying to be better. We just want to be a little bit better. Do a lot of things that you shouldn't do. There's things you should be doing more of which you're not doing. And, you know, praise God that you are back in church or that you're sitting here this morning. You know, praise Him for that impulse. But I want you to hear this. What you need is not to do better, but what you need is His mercy. You see, you need His grace and His power in your life. You need... Not to do better, but you need to run to the Father so that He can make you better and more like His Son. God is powerful enough to save even you. He's merciful enough to change your heart. You see, if He could save Peter who denied Him, if He could save Saul and turn him into Paul and go on to write most of the New Testament, He's merciful and He's powerful enough to save you. So, yeah, I'd like to invite you to just stand to your feet as we sing this last song. Do business with God. Invite him in. Let him speak to you. And then just repent. God is gracious enough. He, he just deal, gives us more grace than what we actually deserve. So let him come in, repent, um, and let him change your heart.